Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, our guest is the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, Sean Harding. And Sean, we've talked about uh, inflation. We've talked about uh, rising prices and how that affects the farmer. We've talked about interest rates. Uh, we've talked about energy prices and gasoline and all that sort of thing. And then we spent extensive time talking about research and how important that is to North Carolina. But let's talk a little bit about the Farm Bureau because it's sort of a unique operation. It is not a part of state government, uh, but it uh, in many ways functions a little bit like a supplement to many of the government services. So give us an overview of what exactly the North Carolina Farm Bureau does how extensive its services are, and how it uh, serves the farmers of North Carolina and people who grow crops. Sure. Well, it's a, uh, yeah, we use the word unique organization uh, sometimes with the Farm Bureau. Um, I love to uh, remind folks who who uh, are not familiar with that word Bureau that that uh, that's just another word for organization. So it's just a farm organization that was started in 1936 by uh, farmers who were in desperate times uh, then and needed a, a voice. And that's really the tagline that we use, uh, Mr. Curtis, that we're the voice of agriculture. Um, so we have uh, a state organization that is really uh, only has 100 members because we have 100 counties, as you know, in North Carolina. So each county has a county farm bureau that's affiliated with our state organization, North Carolina Farm Bureau. Those affiliates have members in their counties. Um, and so those members are also members of North Carolina Farm Bureau. And then, of course, we're affiliated with American Farm Bureau all the way up on a national level. Um, we're the second largest Farm Bureau in the country by membership. And that number is uh, growing. We're at 635,000 member families now in North Carolina. Uh, we we charge. Uh, $25 to be a member and I haven't changed that since the 80s. So I think we haven't adjusted for inflation, <laughs> but we're, we're proud that we've been able to keep it there and uh, member family. So we always uh, multiply that by 2.5 and, and, you know, that, that means we're touching well over a million, almost a million and a half people in the state. Um, so we feel like we have a pretty strong presence um, in 1953. That Farm Bureau uh, group needed to help uh, rural citizens find insurance coverage. They didn't have any insurance coverage, and so we started an insurance company. Um, a lot of people in the state know us for insurance, and, and that's okay. We're proud that we have a, a very um, helpful single-state insurance operation uh, to help people in this state with those needs. Uh, but our organization is primarily an agriculture organization. We advocate for farmers in Raleigh and in Washington, D.C. Um, on the county level, folks advocate for farmers at their county commissioner meetings and, and work in those areas. So wherever a voice for farmers needs to be heard, we try to be in that space. You know, you mentioned um, we are not a government organization, uh, but certainly we work very closely with government organizations, Department of Ag. Um, we've talked about our universities. We work really closely with them. Um, all of the commodity groups that are in our state. Uh, one of the things that I think has helped make us be so successful with agriculture in North Carolina is is our synergy, is our our unity. We all, you know, try to speak from the same page, and and uh, and that's been helpful 
in the past. So that's that's a little bit about uh, our organization. We we're very proud to say we're grassroots. In fact, in the fact that uh, our policies come from these counties uh, every year, and and that's how we operate. Let's talk a bit a little bit about the legislative priorities that you have. Of course, the General Assembly in North Carolina is sort of wrapping up things, but you are constantly working on the next. Uh, session of the General Assembly. And of course, there's federal legislation that you are concerned about. So let's start with federal legislation. What's uh, on the agenda and how important is it to the farmer that it pass? Well, the biggest thing uh, that we've been talking about all year is Farm Bill. Um, And for your general public that may not know, uh, the Farm Bill is a piece of legislation that we do every, every six years. Um, and so it is up in 2023. It actually expires at the end of this month. And we've been talking about it all year. Um, it will not be shocking to anyone in the audience to probably know it's not done. <laughs> and it doesn't look like it's going to get done. Uh, but but that's Washington. Sometimes things move a little slower than we would hope. But um, but we've we've just been talking about that piece of legislation all year. It's, it's really important to farmers. Um, there's a lot in it and, and I, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but I will say the biggest thing is crop insurance. Um, that is where we have our crop insurance program, uh, that helps farmers in the times of disaster. Certainly we know about disasters here in North Carolina and how important crop insurance is. Um, that, that farm bill is, is about 20% farm programs and about 80%, um, with foods, uh, assistance programs. And so, your SNAP program and all that is included in that. And so we're hopeful that those that program will get uh, funded, that bill will get passed, and and we're working on that right now on the federal level. You know, as an outsider, it would seem to me that things are moving so fast, not only in the environment, but also in the economy, that uh, six years may seem like a long time for a farm bill to be in effect. Uh, would you favor a shorter period of time? Is that uh, something that makes sense or are you happy with the six-year term? Don, that's a great question. I would, um, farmers like stability. I'll answer that question that that way. I think we would probably be okay with keeping it for six years, but we need to get it reauthorized and we need to get it updated. So you, you and I started this conversation talking about inflation Six years ago was a long, you know, we had a lot different numbers, base numbers uh, than we have now. And so we need to, to re, you know, reauthorize this farm bill and update it with the numbers that we have now. So it's a balance, right? You know, if you try to do this every year, uh, we've seen the disaster that that could be. So I, I don't think we'd want to look at it too closely. Um, but I, I do think farmers favor stability. We want to know What's the, what's the rules going to be every year? And then we can operate. So we talked about the federal legislation and the priorities. What about uh, the uh, priorities that you have for the General Assembly of the state of North Carolina? Well, we've just, uh, this is very timely, but we've just, I think, passed the budget or they're voting on it actually today, I think. Yeah. Um, but so we've got a long list in there that we're looking at of, of things that are coming. Um, I think we've got some good things in there for agriculture in the state budget. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is 
is food manufacturing. Uh, we grow a lot of things in this state that go away from this state to be uh, processed, further processed. And and why couldn't we do that closer to home? Um, we need a cheese plant, Mr. Curtis. Uh, we we need a place where uh, most of our consumers don't drink as much milk as they used to. Uh, they consume their milk by eating it, you know, in cheese. And so I really believe if we could get uh, a cheese manufacturer to come to North Carolina, we could help our dairy farmers in this state. Um, and so we're looking at opportunities in the food manufacturing space. And uh, the General Assembly has been very helpful in that. And and so we'll continue to, to do that. Um, there's, you know, always issues on the state level, more uh, regional issues that we deal with every year. Um, one of the things that we're talking a little bit about here that I'm hearing from my farmers is, is um, believe it or not, wildlife. Uh, we've done a tremendous job of conserving wildlife in our state to the fact that there are deer in your backyard, I'm sure, in Raleigh. Yes, I have <laughs> I have six. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it is a real problem uh, for our farmers, uh, deer. Uh, now we have, uh, you know, the feral swine are a real problem. Uh, and so we had a real wildlife problem in this state. And let's face it, let's all be honest, uh, people don't hunt like they used to. We don't have as many hunters as we used to. So this is becoming an issue that we're we're working with our Wildlife Resources Commission to, to talk about how what are some of the fixes for that. What, That's so some of the what state are some of the what are some of the fixes to uh, because I mean deer have become a real problem inside the city limits of towns and communities because they're basically pretty safe. Yeah, and and so we've got to have uh, you know look at our hunting laws and see if there's some way to expand some of that, um, and you know it's become such a problem now that we actually have a, a disease coming in our, our deer. Uh, and that's a sign where mother nature is saying you've got too big a herd. So we've got to lower this herd. Uh, we've got to have ways to do that. And like I said, we want to, we want to work through that and, and talk with our wildlife people to, to do it. The feral, uh, feral swine issue is a real issue. And, and I'll bring up something here uh, because of a of an animal disease that we're really afraid of in the pork industry and that's called african swine fever um it's it's been in china it's been in other places it's not been in the united states yet um but if it comes and and i'm certainly hopeful that it won't it will probably be in this wild or feral swine uh, herd and so this is why we've been trying to trap eradicate move uh, get rid of some of these animals, uh, but they're, they're really it's really a difficult situation. Well, talk a little bit uh, before we get too far along about the transition in your family farm. You were uh, you grew up, I guess, as a tobacco farmer, but you transitioned into fruit and vegetables. Uh, tell me a little bit about your farm and your family farm because you're still a farmer. Yes, I, I try to get home as much as I can. Uh, I still love it on the farm. Uh, I have two boys, two sons, uh, 30 and, and 25 that are back on the uh, farm now and, and really are running the operation daily for me. So we're in that transition process. Uh, it's really hard to do that, to pass a farm from one generation to the next, but we're working towards that. Obviously, this is a full-time job for me here in Raleigh. Uh, but I love to come home on the weekends and and help out where I can. 
we uh, we do grow fruits and vegetables. You mentioned probably known for strawberries more than anything else. Uh, but right now it's pumpkin season. And so we are, are certainly into the pumpkins and sweet potatoes. We've talked about that. It's, it's been seasonality. So whatever's in season is what we try to produce. Um, and we're a, a little bit different, uh, whereas we have a retail operation on our farm. People come to our market and and can pick their own crops or uh, or, you know, buy it right there from the farmer. How long does it take to grow a pumpkin? So we'll put our pumpkins in behind the strawberries. Our strawberry season will end in June, and then we will double crop or raise two crops. We'll raise the pumpkins behind the strawberries. And so you're talking June to what are we hear about the middle of September when they start to get ready. And so another question, how many pumpkins can you raise in an acre? <laughs> you can raise a lot of pumpkins. A lot of it depends on if you're trying to raise little pumpkins or are you trying to raise big pumpkins. And and so we have to have a little bit of both. Uh, you know, we we do the little pie pumpkins uh, for our field trips for our kids. Every kid comes out, gets a pumpkin to take home, and they can't take a big pumpkin home. They take a little one. Um, it, and the pumpkins are really, it's amazing. You talk about uh, different varieties. There's so many different varieties now from white to, to colored and, and different pumpkins. So, uh, and then you got to have the big ones. You got to have the carvers for, for the folks that want to carve. So, yep. Well, it's interesting. Now, uh, are pumpkins like watermelons or are they better off in dry seasons or wet seasons? Better off in dry seasons. So, uh, but mainly because uh, we really struggle with pumpkins because of uh, some of our diseases with our humidity. The best place to grow pumpkins up in the mountains where it's a little bit cooler and drier up there. Yeah. Well, we all love our pumpkins and we all love Halloween and thank goodness for you growing the pumpkins and especially those little pumpkins for the little ones. That's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. They really enjoy it. And uh, it ties our consumers to agriculture. That's what I love about what we do on our farm. Uh, I really think it trained me for 20 years for this job. Our guest is Sean Harding. He, in addition to being a farmer, is also president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. We'll be back with our final segment, and we want to talk about some of the problems the farmers are facing in the area of, of workforce challenges. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. 
For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Again, our guest is the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, Sean Harding. And we've had a great program. We've learned more about pumpkins and watermelons and things of this nature than uh, I ever expected to learn. But we've also learned about the uh, impact of inflation and rising costs and so forth. Labor, of course, is a huge thing to the farmers. And we want to focus a little bit on uh, your labor and workforce challenges. Uh, immigration is certainly important to you because so many of the workers on farms in North Carolina are immigrants. It is um, top of mind always in agriculture right now. Uh, you know, I mentioned in the last section, uh, we were talking about the farm bill and we've had, had uh, you know, federal leaders going around the country having listening sessions with farmers to just hear what they wanted to talk about with the farm bill. Now, I need to explain the Farm Bill has nothing to do with farm labor. Uh, that's in Department of Labor. Uh, but what was interesting in those listening sessions is uh, Congressman G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania, who's leading that. Every one of them, when they would ask, what's the main problem on the farm? The farmer would say labor. And so um, we heard this consistently. And, and this is an issue Um and you know what's interesting is it's not just an issue in agriculture anymore. Uh, you're seeing in many sectors, we just do not have enough people to do the work that we need to get done in this country. And and so it's a real problem. But focusing on agriculture, it's, it's our number one issue. And of course, uh, the impact of inflation there is also a part because the laborers need more money to uh, balance their family budgets. Let's talk a little bit about uh, um uh, health insurance because uh, uh that's a that's a big challenge to your workforce oh health insurance is is always a a challenge you mentioned the, the you know rising cost of labor and then as we talked about sort of tying this together we're in a sector that is not able to pass that on you know we can't just automatically say we're going to charge more for for these crops because of the market and the way it's set up. So that again, going back to the inflation discussion, that's where the squeeze comes in. Uh, when, you know, you want to provide benefits to your workers, uh, but it, it's really expensive and, and hard to do. Um, we use a guest worker program here in North Carolina called H2A. Um, it has been very successful. I'll use that word uh, in, for our farmers. Uh, but it's also been a very expensive program. It costs about $1,000 per employee to bring someone uh, from, say, Mexico to North Carolina through that H-2A program. Um, you're responsible to house them. Uh, and, and so you have that housing cost as well. And then you have a wage on top of that that you have to pay uh, for that worker. So um, it's an expensive program, but the worker, the uh, farmers tell me it's the only way they could continue to farm with that uh, guest worker program called H2A. And so this is the message that we take to Washington constantly. What do you see as far as uh, students at uh, the primary institutions like NC State and A&T, where they have 
agricultural schools. How many uh, kids are choosing this as a career, and uh, is this a problem? It's interesting. What I see is excitement around agriculture right now with our students at the universities. And so they love agriculture. They And, and there's so many different types of jobs in agriculture. Uh, we talked about the technology and the research that's needed. Uh, you know, when you start talking about engineering, when you're talking about drones and, and some of these things that are going on. So it's fascinating to, to uh, young people and they're excited about the future of agriculture. Now, they're not excited about picking sweet potatoes. <laughs> they're not excited about some of the jobs that are manual labor, and, and rightfully so. They're getting a college degree. They're going in different areas. Um, and so this is where we have, and I don't like the term unskilled labor versus skilled labor because the workers that are or picking my strawberries, or they're picking sweet potatoes, or th these are skilled laborers uh, that come here from um, many times in this H2A program for 20 and 25 years in a row because they they love this guest worker program. They can come here for eight months, work, send money back to their families in Mexico, and it's really economic development in that country as well. Um, so that's you know what I see from young people right now. There's an excitement about agriculture. I hadn't thought about drones, but how would a farmer use drones to increase efficiency? Well, we're looking at uh, opportunities to uh, use some of our crop protection chemicals and spray with drones. And, um, you know, at first thought, you say, well, is that uh, safer or, or better? And it really is because you're using less chemical. You're using it more precisely across the field. Uh, and then think about now we don't have those uh, pieces of equipment on the road traveling from field to field. So there's some real advantages to this, I think, uh, in the future. And, you know, that's it's one of those things where, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you go back 20 years, you're like, oh, we'll never do that. Right. But technology changes things. Well, yes, I, I would imagine 30 years ago, if you told a farmer that one of his most vital pieces of equipment is going to be a laptop computer. He would have laughed at you. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, everything that we do now with, with computers um, and, and these drones are, are, are just incredible with their preciseness of how they can, uh, you know, go across the field. So I, I think it's an emerging technology. We alluded to this earlier of how important research is because we're growing more and more crops on less and less land, but we also have a loss of farmland as North Carolina continues to grow in its economic development in areas other than agriculture. Uh, do we still have plenty of land for farming, or is this going to be a problem? It's going to be a problem. It is a problem. Uh, you mentioned Commissioner Troxler. I know he's on your program, and it's really um, uh, something that he brings up every time I hear him speak. Uh, he's done, it's, you know, he's done a lot of work in this area. It's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult thing to talk about. One of the primary um, policies that we have at North Carolina Farm Bureau is private property rights, Mr. Curtis. And in your land, you're right to do what you want to. And if, if someone walks up with a big check and says, I want to put houses on your land, and maybe you don't have a son or a daughter or somebody wants to come back to the farm, 
it's really enticing and, and hard to keep that land in agriculture. So, um, you know, we've got, we certainly have our, our solar farm, our solar energy that's going on farms that takes up land. So I think as a society, we, we need to have discussions about this. Uh, and I know we are in this state. There's a lot of people that are concerned about it because we're growing a lot of houses right now. You mentioned uh, energy just a moment ago when you mentioned solar. Energy cost, of course, very important to the farmer. Uh, are we beginning to get uh, enough solar panels and are we able to harness enough wind that this is helping reduce the cost of operation in farms? I don't, I think we have a lot of room to grow in that area. Um, and I think it's uh, still remains to be seen um, how we're going to energize our farms in the future. Um, I, I personally am a, I'm, I'm more in the wind camp than I am the solar camp. I've seen that be very successful. Uh, and certainly there's some talk about wind uh, out on our coast as well. Um, the thing I like about the, the wind is we can farm up to the, up to them, you know, or underneath them, uh, mm -hmm. solar, you can't do that. So that's a little bit more of a challenge, you know, and I, I think with solar, it's a balance. Uh, there's certainly land that's not as productive as other land. And so we need to be looking at, is there some kind of way to, uh, to talk about putting solar in certain spots? So look, we're all having this discussion about how we're going to produce energy in the future. And it's also in agriculture as well. So as you look down the road at the crop balance in North Carolina, of course, tobacco is becoming less a factor. Uh, uh, but uh, if you look down at the uh, amount of acreage that is spent on soybeans and cotton and tobacco and, and grains and so forth, what do you forecast is going to be our biggest need as far as needing land? Well, we'll... we'll you know, I'll tell people we'll always grow some tobacco here in North Carolina. I believe I'm safe in saying that. And and certainly that is sort of leveled off at a certain level now. Um, and grain crops will will vary depending on the market. Uh, we could we could grow more cotton, but right now we don't need more cotton. And so uh, I mentioned earlier that we're a corn deficit state. We could grow more corn to feed the animals that we have. Um, but again, we're competing against uh, development and energy and those two sectors are pretty strong so it's hard to compete with that when you're just growing crops now you go up in the mountains um i i'm excited about the christmas tree industry and what it's doing there um certainly we grow a lot of a lot more of our cattle out west and that's very important uh to this state as well so i just i hope communities and counties and 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 farmers will talk and share about how can we keep some of this land uh, in pasture and in forest, because that's important as we talk about climate change in the future. Well, I was getting ready to bring up forestry. We haven't even touched on that. And of course, that is really long-term use of land because it takes a long time to grow a tree. Yes. And, but very important to North Carolina, right? Uh, the forest yeah. industry and, and important to our farmers. Um, and so I, you know, I think that is, again, we need to have a larger discussion about uh, keeping land green for the future as far as helping our climate. Uh, but so I think agriculture is really poised to be uh, on the front lines of climate change and, and climate smart solutions and how we can do those things. 
Uh, we work closely with USDA uh, to, to come up with some of those programs, and we'll continue to do that. You've got about 30 seconds to give me an answer to a quick question. As you go to work on Monday morning, what is at the absolute top of your list of priorities that you will be concerned with next week? Oh, wow. Um, well, okay, I'll do an easy one. Since you're only going to give me 30 seconds, it's fair season, Don. We're going to start talking about the uh, state fair. We just got the Mountain State Fair knocked out and uh, had a really successful Mountain State Fair. The state fair is important for agriculture. That's where fairs got started. Uh, and so I think that's that's what I'm going to be working on next week. Great. Wonderful. Sean Harding, president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. Thank you for your time. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Our program has been produced by Jason Kahn, and he promises to have another interesting guest next week. So the next week on this same group of stations, we hope you and yours have a very, very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.